Hey, would you like us to read a story of your choosing? Well, you're in luck. Head on over to superhumanregistrationpodcast.com and fill out the web form at the Contact Us link. If you submit a story there that is available to read on Marvel Unlimited, we will consider it for a future episode of the show. The world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Yeah, I mean, my wife will know it real quick. <laughs> She'll be like pounding on the door. Why aren't you done yet? <laughs> That's not how this goes, nor is that how my wife sounds. I don't know why I'm doing that. That's Is that not an accurate representation? That would not be an accurate representation. Okay. No. I've, only, I've only ever seen your wife on what I assume is the happiest day of her life. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. If, so if I, not, then who? <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what she sounds like angry. So I have... Actually, I, I don't know if I hope so. Um, <laughs> like... Ideally, we're still happy and like getting happy. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to peak know. on your wedding day. Yeah, like I like to think that I didn't peak a year ago. Hey, well, many happy returns. If it's, uh, I forget if which day um, this month isn't it? Towards the end of the month or April? Yeah, twenty eighth. Twenty eighth. Okay. So the yeah, so like between now and the next time we were scheduled to record was was going to be our first year. Anniversary. And it still will be. I say was because we have a trip that's planned, but you know, um, everything's closed. The country has a little bit of the sniffles, <laughs> and so yeah. Well, if it makes you feel things any are, better, things are weird. Yeah, I'm my namesake died in the Spanish flu a um, hundred years ago, so I'm a little nervous until this thing blows over, or until 2021. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> like you, you could say. <laughs> You could say cancellations are going viral. We could indeed say that. But we won't. Should, should we? Better people. Should we? <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't have, but we already did. And it's recorded, and there's nothing that can be done oh, about that. No. So, welcome to the Superhuman Registration Podcast, a show where we distract ourselves from the terrible things going on in the world by reading comics of varying quantity and quality. Dang it, I botched the line. And I just keep adding bad ammunition to my resume. Because, <laughs> because someday I'll have an unpopular opinion on some like journal website, and then people will dig up this podcast from five years prior, and they'll be like, "Oh, oh, he said a bad pun, made a bad joke about the coronavirus." And then, you know, they could pull out any one of our podcasts and get that same result. <laughs> yeah, they're really good. Consistency is is good. <laughs> I really. Indeed. I really hope that uh, Spider-Man didn't kill the buzz is, is kind of what ends up on my gravestone. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, so, hey, Stephen, John, Aldo, we are all here. We're here to talk about some comics. Which comic do we want to start with tonight, guys? As, as a person not uh, summarizing them, I, I, would, I, would, I would prefer that we start with Shuri. Okay. Because I think we have more opinions about Longshot. No, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's possible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the comics that we chose to read this time were both by uh, female writers at Marvel. And uh, the idea, I think, was this was to commemorate National Women's Day. Or I guess, yeah, that, that would be what it was. 
And uh, yeah, so we wound up with some interesting stories from very different time periods. So John, you're going to start us off with a summary for Shuri. Yep, we read Shuri 1 through 5. The writer is Nnedi uh, Okorafor, and I'm certain I butchered that pronunciation. Actually, I looked it up. That's pretty close. What's what's uh, what is the uh, the proper definition? As you know it, what how do you how do you? I'm hedging because I can't say for sure that's a hundred percent correct, but that's how I remember. Like I, I found a TED talk, or it was some sort of like uh, no, it wasn't the TED talk because they didn't actually say her name. I found an interview, and the interviewer said her name, and he pronounced it Nnedi Okorafor. Okay. Now we're assuming I didn't know that if he two... pronounced it correctly. Sure. I didn't know if the two um, ends one right after the other like was a way of writing a, another sound I was supposed to put in there. I don't know. So I just wanted to make sure that I didn't completely throw it off. Um, and Leonardo Romero is the artist. Uh, Jordi Belair is the uh, color artist. Have we seen their work before? It seems familiar. I feel like we've seen Jordi Belair mm-hmm. a fair bit. He's, he's uh, fairly prolific. He's uh, Josephino for the uh, lettering. And so um, I will say consistently good uh, covers and art throughout. Um, when I got to issue six, because I kept reading without realizing, and I was like, wait a minute, art, art, the art's different all of a sudden, and we're in a completely different... Oh, right. <laughs> Story shift. So, um, this follows Shuri. Uh, the Black Panther T'Challa has gone off into space with Manifold, who is a mutant. And she's kind of left, not exactly in charge, but kind of t- the, the temporary Black Panther a little bit, because he's gone for two weeks and disappears, and they have no way of keeping uh, track of him they don't they've lost contact and so a council that um shuri's mother puts together of um women in different positions throughout wakanda get together and they want her to be the black panther they want her to step up and take up the mantle she's hesitant because she wants to do her own thing which she's doing quite well she's had experiences where she's come back from the dead and she's kind of uh, not haunted (laughs) but like and not possessed but she is accompanied by um, ancient tribal spirits who are giving her advice and trying to direct her. She's gained her own powers where she can turn into a flock of birds, which I'm embarrassed to say how long it took me to realize that she wasn't just flying with birds accompanying her, but she straight up was turning into a flock of birds. I, I thought I thought it was a hologram to disguise her jet wing things. Until she, until she um, differentiates it later on. Yeah, yeah, so you're not alone in, yeah. in misinterpreting. Okay, good. Whew, feel better. So, um, <laughs> they want her to step up and be the Black Panther. Um, she's hesitant, like I said, doing her own thing. Um, she takes off. She's like, no, I'm going to go find my brother. And she meets up with Storm, who um, has been involved with T'Challa in the past. They go out to visit um, the uh, mute tribe um, in this town. And they meet a spiritual expert who is as as talented as, as Shuri is on the scientific side. She is spiritually and they go to this um, tree, this uh, Groot Boom the Second Baobab tree, um, where a girl from the council who's just finished high school is reading, and that's kind of her her secret spot to study. Uh, so she takes off, and um, Storm and Shuri and uh, Ikoko, the spiritual expert, all are meeting together and uh, trying to perform this ritual. And Astrally projects her into space as well as the other girl who's there. And Shuri gets put into Groot's body, which I gotta tell you guys, I did not see coming. That blew my mind completely. Nope. <laughs> I, I was like, we're gonna stick around in Wakanda, and she's gonna do her thing and like invent something cool, and that's what we're gonna get out of this book. Nope, straight up Groot was in this. So she helps uh, as Groot. Um, she helps where she's like inside of Groot, but she's still talking to Groot, but she's controlling Groot. 
So she's like temporarily taking him over. Um, she helps Rocket get rid of this um, large insect, uh, this space lubber, is that what they call it? Space lubber, yeah. This uh, thing has been attacking their ship, and uh, luckily it was just a little one, but then it um, attacks the other girl who was taken up from the uh, little meditation they were doing at the Baobab tree, and finds out where Earth is from her memories, because they're out in deep space. And Shuri tells Rocket and Groot to try to find her brother because she passed their ship out in space and tried to go back to it, but then ended up in Groot's mind. So they're going to try to look for it to be continued for that. Um, She gets back. This uh, insect is coming. It attacks. um, Is it in Wakanda or a neighboring place near Wakanda? But it attacks... it's a neighboring place, yeah. Well, it's it attacks this concert, and the great villain Moses Magnum um, is there and trying to take advantage of the uh, this creature that can create black holes, and he has seismic powers. Um, Shuri is um, trying to stop it and get ahead of it. She's using her wings and consulting with a council that um, secretly Black Panther has been meeting with with other uh, leaders from other African nations to try to get Wakanda more involved in what's going on. Um, It's kind of been something her mother has been doing also kind of behind her back and behind um, the general's back. Is it Okoye? I forget. The the Dora Milache? Yes. Yeah, that's Okoye. I just blinked on her. Oh yeah, it is Okoye. Okay. Um, So she's kind of like surprised her as well, but um, Shuri shows up, they fight it, it escapes, it leaves a black hole behind, and then she calls in Tony Stark for a little backup. I think mostly to show that, hey, Shuri is super smart on the level of Tony Stark. And they end up uh, getting rid of the black hole, chucking the terrorist down it, and saying, eh, who cares, he's gone. I was like, whoa, freaking brutal, but okay. And so he takes off, and... She's once again confronted with, you know, needing to step up and be the Black Panther, be the leader as a symbol for the people, not only in her country, but other countries. In the very last panel, we see her take on the Black Panther outfit, which is similar, except she has a cool pair of wings on it and to be continued. So I think uh, I I just watched the Black Panther movie this week, which I think maybe this... It, I don't want to say this was informed by it, but I think it was. this was written with the mindset that, yeah, most readers are going to have that as their basis. But it gives a lot of hints yeah. of, here are some other stories that Shuri was involved in. So there's a lot more to this character, and there's been a long history with this character. She's been the Black Panther before. She's had these things happen to her, all while defending Wakanda and being a great hero. So it, it, it is a little bit addressing that, that public, that maybe the civilian's knowledge of um, you know Shuri and comics but also gives you a lot more and I really enjoyed it um, I thought the art was consistently good I thought that the writing was interesting and the characters were engaging and um, uh, really enjoyed it it reminded me the art style reminded me of is it David Mazzucchelli who did Batman year one a little it was bit, like that yeah. but yeah. the, co- the coloring yeah. was much more vibrant and uh, served the story uh-huh. uh, really well so that's what I thought I'm done talking you guys talk for a bit I, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say that like uh, your intuition was incorrect because it absolutely is. Um, well, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say you were absolutely correct, but it's, yeah. but it's not because it's like a hidden thing. Because at the at, at the letter or the little paragraph thing at the end of the first issue, the writer comes out and says that. Um, she does. She does <laughs> talk a little bit about how a lot of, a lot of this is like a mix of the movie. 
Um, and the comics history. Yeah. And well, a little bit of herself. On. Some of us skimmed the letters at the back, so... <laughs> Oh, don't worry. I've Who's been a lot of skimming. Yeah, I was gonna say. Not... Let's talk about Longshot. Mm. Um, <laughs> no, but we're not. We're not talking. We're talking about Shuri specifically. You guys are talking about Shuri because my uh, my my face hurts. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, if I could say like one thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way about this story is that it is mostly housekeeping with the intent of taking Shuri as she existed in Marvel Comics and turn her into Shuri as she was portrayed by Letitia Wright in the Black Panther movie. And the only reason that I say that that's a bad thing is because of the housekeeping aspect of it, because that's pretty apparent. That said, I agree. Like, this story was fun. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. Like, Letitia Wright is maybe the best part of Black Panther? No. She's good. She's Yeah, there. but I would not say she's the best part of it. I said but, maybe. I'm hedging. I mean... Yeah, but did you forget Michael B. Jordan? Is Michael okay? Fine. B. B. She's one the of the second bird? best part. Michael Michael B. Jordan is Michael B. Almost the best Marvel villain. <laughs> Michael B. Jordan is Michael B. My boyfriend. <laughs> he kind of wins, and he kind of has a good point. He almost wins. He wins in a in a uh, what's the word? I'm metaphorical. Uh, he wins in a way. <laughs> he won the moral or victory. But he wasn't. He won the philosophical debate. Sure, there we go. That's the word. That's the word. Philosophical. Yeah, 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 yeah. Philosophical. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, English major. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Man, we never get any job for the Russian major. Man. (laughs) You want us to read some more? uh... No. No more. You want want us craven? No more craven. No more. (laughs) (laughs) It is very. It is very depressing. So when I look at the art in this, I I kind of see a little bit of David Mazzucchelli. Um, but who I actually see more of, I think, is uh, the the artist who did the the tape, whose name I'm blanking on. Yeah, um, I'll tell you in just two seconds. We can edit this to make it sound like you knew exactly who Javier Polito. Yeah, yeah, Javier Polito. I think it, the, the anatomy is much, much better. I get mm-hmm. what you're saying, but I think that um, the uh, anatomy is tighter in this and more correct. And more appealing. Um, Javier uh-huh. Polito kind of has like like a John Romita Jr. face thing going on where everyone's face looks wrong. <clears throat> Not a fan, but... I will, um, where he looks like John Romita Jr. faces, yes. But no, um, yes. I, I would agree that the anatomy is a little bit tighter. And I think it's the colors that are really drawing the comparison, which is interesting to me because I don't think they're colored by the same people. I will look while we're talking. Regardless, that's, a good um, point, yeah. that's not a bad comparison. I really like Javier Polito. And so I think the art really is is quite charming for Shruti. I like the character designs. I used to say Mohawk Storm is best Storm. I'm a big fan of Storm with braids. Yeah, I... Uh... Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't thinking. Man, I wish this was Mohawk Storm. I thought this was good. Yeah, I I like this. I like I like the original X Men movies, um. Uh, but every time I read an X Men comic book, uh, I am just reminded of how much Halle Berry is not Storm. <laughs> and you know who is? You know who is? Angela Bassett, who? and she's the mom in in Black Panther. She would have oh, been a yeah. great Storm back in the day. She would. She would have. She would have. Yeah. Matt Holling, um, Matt Hollingsworth was the colorist. Yeah. Oh, he's 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 done quite a. We've read quite a bit of Hollingsworth, or we've seen. I mean, I guess you can technically read a drawing, 
but we've <laughs> we've seen we've seen a bit of his work. I like Hollingsworth. He's yeah, good, good colors. I, I'm I'm glad that we're doing this because I think I'm appreciating more the work that they do because it does make a, it does make a big difference. Letters. Difficult to like uh, talk about the art in and and like the coloring in particular in a very educated way. Um, just because I don't think it's any of our forte really, but it, it's nice to start like trying to pay attention more to the colorists and see what they do. Mm-hmm. I'm looking up Jordi Belair right now, although I think it's time for you to make a point, but I just want to see some of the other books that he's done. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, no, I was going to say, like, I agree with you. I don't like a lot of the housekeeping. Um, my biggest pet peeve of the Marvel MCU is how much of it bleeds over to the comic books. So I can totally understand why you would want to do that. But, um, it, it wasn't bad here. Um, I I do like that a lot of the story is Shuri kind of figuring out who she is. Which I think kind of squarely puts this book in, this, in the camp of good intro to readers. Um, because it's, it's the book kind of assumes that you've either like read maybe a little bit of her or you've seen her, you recognize the character from the movie. Um, but doesn't necessarily rely on that quite a bit it there's a lot of explanation that you know there's a lot of her telling you why she's followed around by you know ancient heads um why uh an intro to like the relationships with her and her brother and uh the other guy who disappears um <laughs> yeah, i forgot manifold. his name yeah manifold um so there's like so, I don't know. I think it's a pretty good intro book. Uh, at least for like for me, who my only real experience or uh, exposure to Shuri has been the movie. Um, and not a whole lot of Black Panther lore. This was... Uh, I don't think I ever felt lost, is what I'm trying to say. And I think it just did a good job at being like an intro book for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Super fun. Shuri is a great character. I really like the the take on her where she's, you know, got the tech that going for her. Um the imagery of her with the wings is very very striking. It's it's such a good oh, yeah. little image. I was going to say, "Oh yeah, you I was going to say, you, you you know how I can tell these people are better writers than I am?" How? Cuz they cuz they didn't they didn't make a a pun about her taking up the mantle. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's how you know. Hey, uh, oh Steven, my you can gosh, add, Steven, you can add the crickets in post, right? <laughs> I can definitely add the crickets in post. Get the bo- get the boys to. on that. What, what did you just? Oh my gosh, about I I I know who Jordy Belair is. Um, Jordy Belair. He's is... my dad. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Jordy Belair did the War in Ellis Moon Knight. Oh, oh, okay. There we go. I don't remember. Did we, we read, read that, that for that, the podcast? We... I don't yeah, think yeah, we did. Did we? No, no. I think I think we did. I'm like, no, I'm Ooh, he, gets, like, he gets in a fist fight with ghosts. I think I would remember that if if we'd read it. But like, part of the reason that book is so good is the coloring work. Jordi Belair is good at his job. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If he did the colors, yeah, he's he won't pop up on our list, unfortunately. And listen, I mean, we're like almost a hundred inch. Yeah. What I'm saying, if you were to look up the the colorist was that because uh, oh, yeah. we did do Moonlight Moon Knight uh, 2011. Yeah, we need to add colorist. Oh, that's that's not that's not the Warren no. Ellis one. <laughs> that was the Bendis one. Oh, Bendis. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Bendis. Believe. Okay, that's right. Okay. So we haven't we haven't read that one on the podcast. we haven't read this one on the podcast. I've read it and 
Yeah, the coloring is exceptional. Remember how when we did uh, Truth, Red, White, and Black, and I talked about how you have that one uh, image with the uh, the cue ball that was left uncolored, and it was just white. Yeah. That's what Moon Knight looks like every time he's on the page. Oh. It's very good, very, very striking. So Belair, like, Belair knows his stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and he does, a, he does a good job in this. I don't, I don't know that any of the coloring really struck me as like super wild or exceptional. Um, but it was good. And I think it was a good match of like the colors with the art style. Cause it's very heavy on the flats, you know? Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot of, of excessive shading. It's a very, I, for lack of a better word, cartoony style that I think suits the character of Shuri very well. Um, and yeah, I, like it's it's a treat to look at. This is the sort of art that I kind of personally aspire to make, frankly. Yeah, hooray! This is this this is uh, kind of the disappointing part about when we read like really good books that aren't necessarily like super philosophical. Yeah. Is uh, there's not there's not a whole lot to say because I think we're in agreement in agreement that uh, it's a good book. It's well yep. written. Yep. Um, looks really good. Um, it's solid. No like major flaws. I mean, they do use Mo- Moses Magnum and Iron Man. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, I I was actually pretty happy with that um kind of Iron Man uh bit in there. That was actually pretty cool. Uh, and I want to point out that they did a really good uh, kind of cameo thing with that because that's not something I'm going to say for the next book um, <laughs> but um, yeah I, I, I don't know I, I really don't have much to say I, I enjoy the writing in it it felt it felt good it felt natural in a way I, that's, uh-huh. I don't know I don't know how to like talk about like good writing when it's not bad <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, I can pick up as far as I can pick apart like what bad writing. I can tell you what makes bad writing bad, but I can't tell you what makes good writing good. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure that even this is what I would say is like exceptional writing. It does a good job of establishing stakes, setting up the long form uh, mystery, which is Black Panther. When is he coming back? How is Shuri going to fill the time? Gives us a couple of like little mystery boxes as well to unpack along the way, like her little hacker friend who can somehow hack light bulbs uh, to have his voice come through them. Uh, that was interesting. But like, we don't you know, know who but they did research it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i i think I think part of what I like about this book, um, specifically with Shuri, is there's. Uh, and I think it plays really well with the whole Black Panther mythos, where they are really a combination of like old traditions and new technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they do something really good with Shuri in being in the middle of it, specifically being the designer and engineer for a lot of the tech that Wakanda uses and, and the Black Panther uses. And also apparently being the f- the ancient future, the I future was, ancient. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I had noticed that earlier. They keep calling her ancient future. That was awesome. Yeah, which is like her title. Um, and part of that that makes that really interesting is that she's connected with her ancestors. She kind of does like this avatar thing where she has access to this knowledge from the past. And it's a really good melding of that kind of idea of of respecting you know your culture and your traditions 
but also the kind of struggle of new technologies and new traditions and things like that. And I think while Black Panther, at least in the movie and like the few books we've read, he's very much like a traditionalist who just uses new technology because it's just kind of what's what you know it helps them stay alive the idea that shuri herself is a personification of those two ideals in one person is is interesting and i and i really like that they kind of played around with that concept and introduced it and i'd be really interested to read the rest of the series and see if they do more with that yeah um, I think this has the potential to be uh, something that goes very, very wrong if you put it into the wrong person's hands. Like, mm-hmm. in particular, if you were to put it in the hands of someone who, like, like someone like me who wants to try to do justice to the traditions and history of Africa, but doesn't know anything about it, like, it, it, it wouldn't have worked. So it's a really good thing, I think, that they recruited um, Nnedi Okorafor. I think this is Okorafor's first comic that she's done um and i think so we can actually get a little bit into the philosophy here um i like the way that akorafor makes this story have an impact not just for this fictional city of wakanda but she also starts talking about the the real geopolitical situation in africa where you've got this this continent that was kind of mushed together by outside influences into one homogenous group where they don't really belong, but they still have common interests. And so they get together and they collaborate. Um, you get little bits and pieces of that throughout the story, mostly through this council that uh, T'Challa put together before his disappearance. And I think that is the sort of thing that really, to me, ties the whole book together. Even though it's not like this overwhelming aspect of the plot, it's like how do you uh, how do you juggle like respecting tradition with this Afrofuturist ideal with the real geopolitical situation in Africa? How do you juggle all that? You get someone who is familiar with all of that in the real world, so you get a writer like Akorafor to handle it. Yeah, and I think it's it's like I hear a lot of criticism of like voices coming into comics, people are actively being recruited into comics who haven't worked in comics. Mm -hmm. And a lot of angry white boys get very angry and white about it saying that you have to work your way (laughs) up. But the truth is Marvel comics have for a long time been a story of a diverse universe. And in order to really do that diverse universe justice, you need voices that can reflect that diversity. And so you should bring in people like Okorafor. And I think this book really illustrates why you should. Yeah, and, and the thing is Okorafor is also a very well-established and decorated writer. Uh, just kind of going over her credits, I was reading that she's been, she's received like a few awards uh, for... Uh, she's been named the African Literary Person of the Year. I don't know what year, it just says that. <laughs> but she's also not necessarily... This isn't her first comic book, apparently. I was also reading that she wrote a three-issue arc for Black Panther in 2017. Oh, really? And had also done a short story in Venomverse, like, war stories. Uh, that one's interesting because it's entitled Blessing in Disguise. Hmm. And it says, and I'm quoting Wikipedia here, this comic was inspired by the 2014 Boko Haram kidnapping of more than 200 Nigerian girls. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I want to read that. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. So, she also did another series called Wakanda Forever, or the Dora Milaje team Oh, that was her? Spider-Man. Yeah. 
Apparently. Oh my gosh, I, I, I've actually heard of that Have you one. read I didn't, that? I didn't, no, I've oh. read the, the concurrent Black Panther series that was going on at the same time. Yeah, so all of that leading to her re- writing Shuri, which is like the latest thing she's done for Marvel. Well, I so think she she now. already has some. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, but that's also like a sign of of like the diverse world of of comics too, right? Because yeah. there's so like especially Marvel. Uh, I, I I don't know that DC does or doesn't do this because I don't keep up with them as much because I don't read a comic a week for them. <laughs> but uh, but there is something really interesting about. You know, kind of getting this history from Marvel and kind of seeing like all this stuff that they do, right? Like they bring a lot of guest writers. Christopher Priest was also another interesting choice back in the other Black Panther book we read. Yeah. And uh, just kind of seeing them kind of bring in a lot of talent from diverse places is is interesting and, and it's really good stuff, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But Agreed. but but I mean, even for us like comic nerds, like Stephen, you and I keep up like weekly with with comic holds. Hey, I have uh, I got my Runaways collecting uh, <laughs> at the uh, comic book store. No, I was like, I, I used to collect Spider-Man, and it was like, holy crap, there's a new issue every two weeks with this guy? No, 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 no. <laughs> but, yeah, but even like that, just kind of keeping up with all the news. Like, between us three, you know, all the news that we keep up with, announcements, and so forth and so forth. The fact that, like, we thought this was, like, her first book is kind of telling of how big a world comics the comics industry is either that or how and, bad we are at our jobs <clears throat> i was gonna I say mean, i'm not I like the to way say, you I'm, spin my ignorance although <laughs> i'm not i'm you know i'm trying to i'm trying to paint us in a good light guys we're the, want us we're the to best be, i don't want us to look like like ignorant cisgendered middle-aged middle-class men <laughs> yeah that would be that would be really bad if, if that's what we fits <laughs> wrong with being who we are we just own our biases and try to expand our horizons as best we can and you know just be not jerks i'm trying to be woke but i'm so sleepy (laughs) oh gosh (laughs) jeez john (laughs) see i don't even know if that was offensive or not that's how sleepy i am gosh do we have anything else to say about go read this it's a very good book go read this book and if this and if this book was a dog, I would adopt it and love it for all my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good book. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, is it is that as good as as Miss Marvel? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe to someone it is. Probably not to this group, but I would recommend it. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I would also recommend our next book, but I think I'm going to be alone in that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. So long shot. Is a six-issue miniseries from 1985. But should it be? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it is, whether or not it should be. So Longshot was written by Anna Senti, with art by Arthur Adams, uh, well, pencils by Arthur Adams, inks by Wilsey Portacio, and letters by Joe Rosen, colors by Christy Scheel. Uh, it is kind of a bizarre story that just kind of pops in out of nowhere. There's no real setup for it. At this point, there's no larger connection to the Marvel Universe other than a guest appearance by She-Hulk and Spider-Man in issue four, and then Doctor Strange shows up in issues five and six. Longshot wakes up in... uh... Already lost the thread. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how it was reading it. (laughs) 
so Longshot appears in the middle of, of New York and has no memory of who he is, where he's from, what's going on. He's being chased by these monsters. And so Longshot is on the run from them, meets up with this uh, odd little animal that kind of looks like one of the, the strange creatures that's chasing him around. Longshot kind of adopts him, calls him Pup, and they kind of go on these weird sort of random madcap adventures. He has to rescue a stolen baby from these creatures from another dimension. He winds up saving a guy from, from suicide and tries to uh, rob a power plant of diamonds, which is a thing that power plants apparently have. Um, he gets a guest gig as a stuntman where he meets a motorcycle rider named Ricochet Rita. Um, as the story progresses, we learn more and more about Longshot uh, as he starts to recover his memories. We learn that he was a genetically engineered slave and he escaped from this world that is ruled over by a maniacal madman named Mojo, who is a giant fat guy in a mechanical chair. And apparently he has magic powers and is obsessed with TV. Oh yeah, and he like pulls back his eyelids or something. Yeah, he's clockwork oranging. Yeah. Yeah. He's got one of the all-time grossest villain designs, honestly. He does. It's very good, honestly. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very good because it's very bad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no it's... lie, Mojo is one of my favorite villains. And we'll kind of get into the reasoning as, as we go through this. Um, eventually, Longshot uh, also learns that he has superpowers. He has exceptionally good luck, but only if his motives are pure. So he has to be trying to do selfless deeds in order to have his good luck. And it's not entirely clear like how that works. He meets up with another uh, genetically engineered slave from his home world named Quark, who claims to have super bad luck, kind of inverse to what Longshots has. Eventually, they they meet up with the pup again, who has been feeding on the magic of the world, and he is turned into a giant monster, and Longshot has to take him down. Mojo comes over to Earth uh, to track Longshot down uh, with the assistance of a six-armed, Recurring X-Men villain, although I don't think that's been established yet. I think this is her first appearance. Named Spiral. Spiral has the ability to dance between dimensions, and also she has swords in all of her six arms. Mojo and Spiral kidnap Ricochet Rita, tie her to the prow of a spacefaring ship, which makes her go insane. Doctor Strange intervenes with Ricochet Rita and kind of helps restore her mind. Longshot and Quark succeed in driving Mojo back to his home dimension, and the two of them return there to lead a slave rebellion against the Spineless Ones, which is the race of Mojo and the other ruling class. Ricochet Rita is restored enough to feel that she can go off with them, and that's where the series ends, with Doctor Strange seeing them go and kind of pontificating about how weak and vulnerable the planet is, but at least the flowers are blooming now. And that's how the series ends. And as I was reading this, I was like, this is 100% my jam and nobody else is going to like this. I loved it, though. Hey, you were right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, I don't... Here's the thing. All right, I, I complain a lot about reading a lot in comics. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I get the feeling that it's becoming like a trope of mine. Yep. But boys are a lot of reading in this comic. 
Um, they they speak a lot, but they don't say a whole lot. And oh, uh, amen to that. And I feel like I think almost the entirety of issue three could have been cut out. Um, and there was no reason. It was it was like a bullet to the back of my head when I flipped to like the last page of issue five, and they're like, "Join us next month for the double issue." And I was like, "Are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me?" Yeah. Boy, it, I just gotta it, say, like, you know, you've read one story about a mind wiped interdimensional cr- uh, crime fighter who likes to dress like Bowie. I guess maybe ladies' coats and f- weird fuzzy mullets. You've read them all. I mean, oh, how, how many times have we seen this before? Who there's. There's also like a very not great joke about all the women falling in love with him. I don't know if that's part of his power. Yeah, like or... the, the kid who's like, my love, oh, I'm so embarrassed. The kids talk yeah. like they're like 50s gangster kids and this is the mid-80s. It's like, oh, shucks, mister. And it's like, even, who's even writing she, this? Even She-Hulk when she sees... Yeah, well... Yeah. <laughs> She's got a she brush up when she see, when she sees yeah. him on the news and she's like, "Oh boy, I hope I get to arrest him." And then like she meets him and then she beats the crap out of him and then he runs away and then she's like, "Oh, but he's so cute though." And it's like, were they going for like a Bowie thing? They were um, absolutely. I don't know that they hit it, frankly. No. <laughs> like I I I also I also hate that like. I don't know. I feel. I almost feel bad for the dude in issue four because like these heroes are coming after. Okay, so I was not very fond of the cameos in here. Um, oh yeah, because I agree. Because She Hulk and Spider Man like uh, hop in and they fight him, and don't give him an app, uh, any opportunity to explain himself, even when he's clearly just defending himself and not like. And he says, "Stop, attacking. let's talk," and then bam, he gets hit again. Yeah. And then, like, he runs away from Spider-Man, and Spider-Man's like, mm, I think he said he wanted to talk. Oh, well, gotta go punch some more criminals. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, so, like, I, I, so when Doctor Strange showed up and he talked to him, I was like, oh, thank goodness. Finally, somebody cares. <laughs> somebody cares about this poor interdimensional slave man. Oh, because the, the writers don't, because we have had, like, uh, maybe Spider-Man and She-Hulk were attempt to kind of like place him in the Marvel Universe and go like, oh, we're familiar with their power sets, and then he's able to like evade them, and so, ooh, he's really something special. We don't get a really good set, like, I don't need to have it spoon-fed to me, but like, a little bit to go on. It was all of a sudden just this like, you know, glam bro dude, like, running around with a shiny eye, like, <laughs> maybe today I'll be a stuntman. <laughs> and like, it just... <laughs> And then he's like, oh no, demons, ah, I'm going to swear my life over this director who's going to leave me for dead in a river. You know, like, it's just, <laughs> what the heck? So here's here, here's the other thing, too. So this is the first appearance of Spiral. Um, yep. I only know Spiral from Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot she's in that. Yeah, yeah, she's in that. Uh, I, sh- I usually get my butt kicked with her every time. Um... <laughs> So like when I saw her, I was like, "Oh, that's right. She's she's a character from Marvel Comics." I went and looked up her uh, her character biography. She is Rita. Yup. What? She's Rita from the future, and this oh. whole thing that happened like messes with the time. She's a paradoxical character. Um, like on purpose, or because somebody didn't like check the, you know, 
Marvel Bible before they started throwing I th- stories together. I think on purpose. Okay. Not on purpose. I actually just looked this up. Oh, okay. I was going to... You don't have her comic? You don't have her little card? Her little trading card? Because <laughs> I know I you got... Spiral long... was popular enough to have You have long card. shots, though, don't you? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, okay, so first comic that I... One of the first comics that I ever read was a four-part series that spanned the annu- the X-Men annuals in, I think, 92 or 93... Uh, it's called Shattershot. It's a mess yeah. of a story. Yeah. Um, and it deals with Mojo and Arise, the the man who genetically engineered the 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 slave race. It's in the the third part of this story, which is the X Factor issue. It is revealed that Spiral is in fact Ricochet Rita. You read this story, there's no indication that that's the case. And so I figured there has to be some story between here and that X-Factor annual <laughs> that explains how that happened. Steven. And Steven. no, there's not. <laughs> yeah. Steven, you were the only one looking for that story. The only, I, yeah, the only I, one. I was. I'll admit it. <laughs> Because, yeah, like, 100%, like, that that weird little story is probably the reason that I liked this book so much, or part of it, at least. No, reading this, I was like, man, this is Stephen's jam, but, who boy. <laughs> like, like I was reading this, I was like, this is the same kid that really loved uh, Infinity Gauntlet, like, for for reasons <laughs> nobody else likes Infinity Gauntlet. Like, the things I, that, yeah, really. I, I am not lying, as I was, like, halfway through issue three, and, like... Really not liking it. I don't know why issue three really did not rub well on me. Um, oh, it's because it's not good. Like, I will acknowledge the series' faults. Issue three is bad. Yeah, issue three, really, I was falling asleep in issue three. Um, I was, like, leaning back on my chair, and I, and I kept, like, waking up. Because, like, my tablet kept falling out of my hand. Um, and, like, so I sat up, like, in a different way so I could, like, stay awake while reading it. And while I was awake, I was cursing Steven. <laughs> the whole time. I was like Steven said I want to read Longshot I remember Longshot being Ste- real fun I all night Steven just keeps getting chills and he's like what's going on <laughs> have you ever have you ever looked up on, on uh, YouTube like how to knit a voodoo doll that's in my search history now <laughs> um, all those just stitching uh, in the beard one thread at a time <laughs> um, I will say though I will say, uh, credit where credit is due, Mojo's a good villain. Oh, I uh, love Mojo. I love Mojo so much. Gog is an interesting villain. Not a whole lot of death. Not interesting in that sense, but he's still kind of a fun villain for the, the, for the book. The pup, you mean, right? Pup? Yeah, pup. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, his dad I, I, was Magog, and then he becomes Gog and Magog. Like, it was, it was yeah. odd. So, I, I, I actually liked that he was changing in his yeah. issue, because... Um, I think it was yeah. in the th- second issue when he's a stunt actor. He points out the thing, like the things on his back, and I actually went back to the first issue and I was like, "Oh yeah, he didn't have them." And it was kind of once that was pointed out to me. Every time he popped up, I just kind of kept looking at him for a little bit longer and yeah. being like, "Oh, that's what they added, or that's how he changed." That that is, I agree. That is one thing that was interesting about this book, and I think that there are like pieces here that in. It combined in a different way. Uh, there was just a lot of reading, and a lot of it was. I know that the, like the well, the first guy he teams up with is like a conspiracy nut or whatever, but like 
just it was hard to get through each little panel. I was just mm-hmm. like, "What is what?" Is, and like it's... the way Longshot talks and thinks is so off, and I couldn't get really get a good read on him because you're kind of dropped in the middle of it. And like done yeah. right, I think sure that's a good way to start the story. Like when you know, like Born Identity, it's a guy in the water they fish out, and what the heck? You have a you have a like a laser pointer embedded in your hip. What's that for? It's a and you can't remember anything, but you can speak every language and fight all these guys. And what the heck? That's one thing. Um, this didn't do it for me. Like I, I'm all for being thrown in the middle of the action. Like I, I, if I never have to see uncle Ben die or the Wayne's shot down in crime alley again, I'll, I'll die happy. But I know that it's, that's not the case. Like we're always going to have an origin story. We needed a little yeah. bit. Like, even if it was just like, Oh, thrown from another dimension, but used to yeah. be a slave. And now he's the luckiest, uh, interdimensional traveler running away from Mojo. It's long shot. Yeah. Like, there's there's a, there's like a couple there's a couple things that like so here's my problem especially with a lot of these older kind of writers it felt like they were being paid by the word count and that might actually be real I don't know um because <laughs> it feels like every panel like as as we read more and more of these older books it always feels like every panel just has to have some sort of text in it and sometimes there's like half the panel is text and it feels like like an artifact from like old school comic book writing where like it felt like everything just had to be explained at all times as opposed to modern comics writing and, and like kind of philosophy I guess where nowadays writers and artists kind of let the artwork do a lot of the work and the heavy lifting and and that's kind of the problem for me here is because like uh, so one of the jokes that I wish would have landed better because it I thought was a genuinely funny joke is when he finds the mannequins and he's angry that they won't talk to him or look at him properly. So, like, he goes into the store and he talks to the to, to the cashier lady and she explains to their mannequins. And it, every bubble, every panel with her in it had, like, her dialogue. And then smashed under those were, like, her thought bubbles about how beautiful he is or how crazy he is or what a weird day she's having. And it's just, like, you can, you can show a lot of that. Through text, you also don't need to write a soliloquy on every panel that's more than like a quarter of the page, and it's just like kind of a remnant of old school comic writing I've yeah. noticed. Specifically, like Longshot comes out around the same time that Chris Claremont was writing X Men, and this reads like a Claremont book. Yeah, you can tell who my favorite comic book writer is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't mind it necessarily. <laughs> I do think that this book in particular gets wordy. And I think if there was a way to take issues three and four and like mush them together with the, like, the Mojo stuff so that we get the good introduction to the character of Mojo and get rid of the unnecessary cameos and get rid of that really not great story where Longshot tells a guy to not commit suicide because life is great and then he proceeds to make the guy's life terrible um is that what happened in issue three kind of yeah <laughs> issue three is not good okay like, I, I had I think no idea way, what was going on <laughs> i think there's a way to take this story and and make it really good and i think john you know that you said that you don't like to be spoon-fed i feel like Longshot's deal is complicated enough that you need to be spoon-fed with him yes like He's got a lot going on. He was a genetically engineered member of a slave race, specifically designed and endowed with superpowers in order to lead a slave rebellion whose rebellions 
constantly fail and his mind gets wiped and he repeats the whole thing and he's from a dimension that is ruled by television and its ruler like is interested in ratings and making sure that he's got the best programming going on although i think that that aspect of mojo's character isn't established here i think that comes later um it's it's there's so much going on with longshot and this alludes to a lot and it's very very messy but it's the ideas and the uh, ambition behind it that I really like. What the story reminds me of more than just about anything else is reading Jack Kirby's Fourth World. I love Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby's not a good writer. I was going to say this felt like to me like reading the, uh, the prequels, Star Wars prequels. <laughs> um, I, I love the prequels. Uh, but I have the same problem with the prequels that I have here specifically. Which is that there's a really good idea, uh, but the execution is just not great. Yeah. This this helped make a little bit more sense. This is just um, from Innocenti's uh, Wikipedia article here. Um, she said, Nascenti and Arthur Adams created the character Longshot in the titular six-issue miniseries uh, from September 85 to February 86. Explaining the concept, concept of the character which Nascenti borrowed from existentialist writers, she states, Longshot is the idea of stripping someone of everything that they are. I never read comics, so the idea of a hero was to me was different. I couldn't think of it in terms of a superhero hero. I thought it was more as a conceptual hero. Not having a comic book background, I tend to come up with the metaphysics before, before I come up with the characters. I knew that I wanted to deal with the metaphysics of luck. It was a concept that interested me. What luck is, what probability is, how you could shift probabilities toward yourself. What are the repercussions of that? So I did a character centered around that idea. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, and like him, yeah. his power set, like if it had been explained a bit better, then it would have been more like, oh, this is what's going to happen in this situation. Like, how is he going to, you know, and instead it was more like, I'm going to throw all this spaghetti at the wall and just see what sticks. Get that jetpack yeah, on me. I, I'm in the movies now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is the concept here, like as you laid it out, just like not five minutes ago, is a really interesting concept, right? Like, he's basically Neo from the Matrix. Um, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of set up to fail and then succeeds, maybe. <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's just the execution is just like not great, but it's still, I don't know. The art is decent. It's how good. much? You, I, like no, I was going to ask how much of the execution. Are we not enjoying because we prefer more modern comics? Because a lot of, a lot of the style of it, I was like, okay, this is an older comic, and so I have to give it that. It you know that's just how older comics were, but it felt it felt wordier and it it's, felt a bit messier than that. It's even. kind of. I, I think part of it also kind of to relate it to something else that's changed quite a bit is the difference between a television show from today as opposed to a television show from you know ten fifteen years ago where they were meant to be digested an episode at a time, talked mm-hmm. about, thought about, and then you go to the next episode a week later. And I think, like, the, and, and the way TV now is kind of meant to be bingeable. Sure, you can watch it week to week, but a lot of the setup or a lot of the writing is done on the expectation that you will binge it or you will binge the previous season. So it's just kind of meant to be read as or, or watched as a whole rather than individual thing. And I think that's part of the thing here, too, is a, a lot of comics, especially back then, were like, that was it. That, that was the comic for the month. And trades didn't really become a popular thing until, like, the 90s. Right. So, so a book comes out, 
like the that issue comes out and you have to enjoy that and the more the more you get is kind of better value right so the more writing the more art the more stuff you get kind of adds to that value of that book at the moment and reading all of them back to back is is or hurts yeah. <laughs> to be frank yeah um so so i think that's kind of the thing especially for me you know it's taken me two years or on this podcast uh to to figure out that maybe next time we get one of these older books anything in the pre-80s uh maybe i should read them uh an issue at a time a day <laughs> give yourself a Instead little of, breathing time. yeah Steve, <laughs> steven what you picked this book and it felt like your jam. Can you tell us what stands out and what makes you enjoy this book? I, I'm trying because I think that there's there is something here. There is, and and it just the way it was presented was was not for me or Aldo. But what what right. what made this you know float your boat? So, like, I am not going to disagree with many of your points um, <laughs> on this. Like, this is kind of a mess of a book. I am the type of person that if I can see what the creator was going for and if it's an idea or a concept that I really like I will forgive a lot of uh, shoddy or lackluster execution and so what I see here and uh, again I'm not sure having read the story already knowing what Mojo's deal would eventually be maybe you guys can actually help me out with this does this story really show that Mojo is all about programming and television and no not at all it didn't feel no yeah, i mean it has a, it has a little bit where he like goes into a room where he's inundated with tv images of himself but i think that's really the only bit i the the sense i got of mojo out of here i've only i've only i think i've only really seen mojo in like maybe another book or or tv series i think he was in the x-men wasn't he the yes. old 90s cartoon series yeah uh, he was um I think the only thing I really got from him is that he's narcissistic and he thinks he's the most beautiful thing in the world because he had like these beautiful gypsy dancing ladies. Right. And he's like, why have you brought me these these ugly women? And it's like, yo, my dude. And then when they have his face, he's <laughs> even more disgusted. He's like, he knows he's disgusting, but he also loves himself. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. How dare you have my face? I don't know, so, maybe because two panels ago you told everybody to put on the masks. Yeah, yeah, I'm a jerk. <laughs> yeah. So to to kind of get back to why I like this story, the stuff that I like about it, um, it's it's I like superhero metaphors that are like charmingly unsubtle. So here you have a slave race that is completely ruled over by a despotic maniac whose name is Mojo. Mojo being a word that is commonly associated with, like, superficial charm. But, you know, Mojo doesn't really have any, you know, substantive strength behind it. Mojo is, in fact, spineless. And so you've got this spineless race that is ruling over the, the you know, the bipeds, the, the people with the spines, with the backbones. And they have to lead a rebellion against this spineless, charming, but ultimately you know, weak and, and, uh, despotic and, and unnatural ruling class. It, it, that's why I say it reminds me of Jack Kirby because Jack Kirby created a character who is a superhero escape artist 
named Mr. Miracle, who is trying to avoid a war that is being waged by the embodiment of everything that is evil in humanity, and this character who is the embodiment of the dark side of humanity is named Dark Side. Like, it's that same level of really on-the-nose, over-the-top comic book philosophy that I love when it's done well. And so there's so much potential for it to be done well that I'm captivated by the idea even though I don't love all of the execution. Okay. I feel like that would have been a good warning to go in with. Like, <laughs> But I didn't know that. I hadn't read this before. You like this book the same way I like the prequels. <laughs> yes, exactly. I like this book the same way that I like Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Ooh, oh okay yeah. but like the first okay but like the first 10 minutes are genuinely good right and then it's never that good again but it has so many <laughs> no. really good ideas yeah you know what is a perfect film is a speed racer <laughs> i still haven't seen that <laughs> oh the, my gosh the, steven the wakowski speed racer right? yeah i've yeah. never seen it oh my gosh it's it's a feast for the eyes it got panned, I think, when it came out. Those fools yeah. don't know what they're talking about. But no, it's it's like everybody that I, like all the film people that I follow on Twitter or read their articles or whatever who talk about Speed Racer, they're all like, no, that movie's great. It's everybody amazing. needs to watch it. It's one of my top like 10 films of all time. Wow. One day, one day I'll get yeah. to it. I mean, since, since we're all quarantined. <laughs> <laughs> Now's as good a time as any. John, John Goodman throws a ninja out of a window. I don't know. I don't know what more I need to sell you on. You nothing. That that did it. I want to see this movie. <laughs> so that that just kind of make it worth seeing right there. <laughs> okay. Anyways, back to the books at hand. Um, I don't know. Do we have much more to say about Longshot? No. Do, now, does he pop? He pops up later. Um, he's the, the next man, isn't he? Kind of like he's he's uh, involved with um, uh, Dazzler apparently. Yep. He gets together with Dazzler and they break up a couple times. Apparently, reading the Longshot Wikipedia page, his, the fact that women are all attracted to him is a superpower of his. Okay, so it is a thing. Okay. Like, yeah. Which is why I say this story needs to explain more. Or I don't know if that was just a, a like a quirk of Anacenti's writing that later writers turned into a superpower for, for Longshot. Yeah, that would make sense. But regardless, yeah, it's it's not a great power. It's kind of skeezy. Is this Nocenti's first book? I don't book? think it is. It's one of her first. No. Yeah. If it's early in her career, like, you can... you can. T I mean, considering that interview that, that John just kind of read to us, um, that kind of makes sense that this is early in her career. Yeah, and her Wikipedia page does not have her works in chronological order, which is frustrating. <laughs> um, but I'm seeing her earliest work at about 1982 as a writer. Um, she was an editor before that. Mm, um, yeah. And so, and maybe concurrently with that, she she is mostly known as an editor, um, I think, before, she, well, oh. was mostly known as an editor before she started getting into writing. And Longshot was one of her first books. She also had a run on Daredevil that was pretty well received. She was on Have Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, which is a, is a team-up book with Dazzler and the Beast. Oh my gosh, why are we not reading that? Have you <laughs> I guys, almost suggested you guys. it. <laughs> Do you guys remember when uh, Disney bought Marvel? Do you guys ever read Penny Arcade? No. I mean, not recently. I don't read them all that much. Well, this, I mean, this isn't recent. This is like nine years ago, but oh, there's okay. a shot of the outside of an office, and it's like, ah, come in. Thanks for, yeah, sit down. Uh, what can we tell you? Our, uh, we're just, we have a, an, a, 
You know, a redundancy of beasts. Our beast cup runneth over. We gotta let you go. So Hank McCoy is clearing out his desk, and Beast from Beauty and the Beast has a big coffee mug that says World's Best Beast on it, and he's just watching him <laughs> leave. Just like, there can only be one. Yeah, so so according to the, to the Marvel uh, fandom wiki, uh, she really started writing maybe... Uh, like as a writer, she was credited maybe two, two or three years before this. Yeah. So yeah, pretty early in her career. I'd be more int- not that uh, not that this isn't good. Oh, <laughs> it's just so very much not for you and me. I think is what we've I, we've settled on. I, yes, I would be interested to reading something from later on in her career and seeing how she evolved and improved as a writer. Yeah. Oh yeah, I would love to. Um, I will say like. I, I don't think her writing is bad. I do think it is of its time. It's of a style that is an acquired taste. I think it's. I think it's a little. Here's the thing, though, right? I'm saying this with the context of like modern mar or not Marvel, but modern comics execution and writing philosophy nowadays. By comparison, it feels rough. It feels. Um, it feels like there's not a whole lot of trust in the artist. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Because there's so much said and not shown. Yeah. And and it's not necessarily that the artist isn't good because the artist is great. Like it really is. The fight scenes are actually. Yeah. I mean, the the fight scenes are really easy to follow. They're fantastic. The pup, when the pup like is fully evolved at the end, there's a big shot of him like kind of outside the other panels where you get like a full body. That was cool. So, and these great I was like, character ah, there's, designs. There's something. Yeah, I was like, yeah. there's so, except for Longshot himself, the hair was just oh gosh, <laughs> oh. like Mojo Spiral, uh, Gog and Magog. I even like Ricochet Rita is apparently designed to look like Anosenti. Um, oh, a little. Yeah, like that's cute. a little bit. Like these, like I really like these character designs. They're so good. And Art Adams is, you know, goat. He's good. He's really good. Yeah. How can you not trust Art Adams as a <laughs> yeah, storyteller? Her, How can you not trust him? Yeah, I, th- I think honestly her writing is kind of the, the, the weak point here. And it's just, one, it's a, it's a, of its time. And two, I think in the context of today, it just feels really rough. Uh, but but I, I don't know. I think for, for the time, I don't know. I don't know that I have necessarily the context to say that it's it's great for, her to, for, the, for the time. But... Uh, you know, it's it's good. It does its job. I wish it did its job a little better. Um, I think it's a cult book, honestly. Like, if you're going to like it, you'll really like it. But oh. it's going to be really off-putting to a lot of people who read it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Steven, I don't... I mean, I appreciate you bringing something new and different to us. I don't want to crap in your sandbox here or anything, but... Uh, <laughs> What's that sound the kit, cats make when they crap in the sandbox? Scritch, 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 scritch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, so I think instead of trying to figure out how many ways we can say the art, the the writing's good, but not for us, um, maybe we should actually rank the book. Hey, good idea. I think that's where we're at. Yeah. So uh, currently on our list, we've got number one, No Normal, Ms. Marvel. Uh, number 89, The Evil That Men Do. Just just bad. Man, you... Do you realize that book is uh, has dropped like thirty spots? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's funny because it's number sixty on our list. 
Uh, we've got in our like behind the scenes document, we're tracking where a book enters the list and the evil that men do entered the list at number 60, but that's because <laughs> it was the 60th book we read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's been at the bottom ever since. One more day started at number two and has dropped all the way down. <laughs> because it was the second book that we've ever read. Yeah. Yeah. I, that I, I don't know why I decided to add that initial rank. Uh, list on there, but I'm happy I did. Yeah, that was a good <laughs> Yeah. So, okay, let's start with Shuri. Actually, I never know whether I'm supposed to troll the R in that or not. Shuri. Ugh. I don't know. Yo, man, I, I don't think know. if you if you speak <laughs> Gosa or whatever language they're trying in the movie, I think they speak. How how do they say it in the movie? Shuri. <laughs> Shuri. I think they do uh, yeah, troll the R a little bit. Shuri. Shuri. Yeah. 18 was my initial thought. Now I'm just re I'm Whoa. just reassessing that. You know, that's around where I was thinking, too. I like it better than In Pursuit of Flight. You guys were way higher than I was. Well, that's the thing. is, In Pursuit of Flight is high. I think it's because we respect Kelly Sue DeConnick. But, um, that particular one I didn't care for as much as the ones that came after it. Karnak, Beta Ray Bill, Squ- uh, Squirrel Power, you know. Um, but for whatever reason, it's up there. But I liked Shuri more than that, so I would put it at 18. And But I'm also, you know, open to democracy and... <laughs> you know, now that you've said that, because I was comparing it solely to that. Yeah. And I think if I was to compare it to anything else, I'd probably. I think I like Better Rebuild more. I like Karnak more. I th- I think I draw the line at like Never Ending Struggle. I would put it above that. Mm-hmm. So twenty two eighteen. So Steven, tiebreaker. Uh, <laughs> Thirty nine. Oh, wow. 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 Really? Here's the thing. Wow. Yeah, like, okay, first of all, it's in the good part of the list. It's above the Star Wars manga. It's in the definitely read this part of the list, so <laughs> stop it. And secondly, so much of this book is just, like, the table setting. It's like, we got to get rid of Shuri's, like, animal powers and make her more of a tech hero, like she is in the movie, where people will recognize her. And, like, that was the reason that they made this. But she was in Groot's head for a whole issue. She was in Groot's head, and that worked way better than I expected it to. <laughs> right? But, I mean, the 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 table setting of this honestly reminds me more of a book like uh, Forever, the Fantastic Four book that we read a couple weeks ago. Look, but they're not like throwing paper plates and, and you know, Dixie cups on the table. There's a nice tablecloth. There are ironed. Uh, linen napkins there are sh- it's shiny silverware the candles are lit that's the kind of table setting we get with shuri and that's great <laughs> i'll get more excited when you actually put food on those plates did you see the costume at the end of the issue uh, yeah, i'll be honest i actually prefer her, her, her normal clothes not the the black panther getup. i thought I, that was I, better design i kind of yeah, do too that is that is, yeah. that is cool. <laughs> but the wings though all oh, those wings those wings though yeah <laughs> yeah the wings are great the wings are super great Listen, I'm willing to compromise a bit here, but I'm not. I'm not willing to put this book below Wolverine. Oh yeah, no. Like, I think if we were really <laughs> going to compromise, I think this would go between Truth and Forever. Oh, uh, I would. I would dare to put it a little bit higher than Forever. Yeah, I'd put it above Forever. I, I think. I. I think as an intro book, I think it does a better job than Forever. Granted, Forever is also a celebration book. Yeah. I can't remember our argument last week or last time about how Truth got so high. <laughs> I remember this very clearly. I said, let's let's put it at the the lowest spot where it's not just straight up insulting. 
And so we put it above Wolverine. Because above Wolverine because there's so... straight up racism in. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I got you. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> that was the rationale. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my, my guilt is slow to wake up. So. <laughs> I, I remember now. <laughs> I remember you were not a fan of the art at all. At all. Oh. We're, at done, all. we're done talking about it. Anyways, um, yeah. Let's put it. So is it is it better than Forever, Aldo? I. Uh, to me, yes. As a person who doesn't read me, a lot, me of, too. Uh, who doesn't read a lot of Black Panther or a lot of Fantastic Four, I think I would recommend this to somebody over Forever. And I would recommend wow. it over Gifted as much as like Gifted is like, ooh, it's 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 a thing like X Men, you know? Yeah, I I don't know that I'd put it over Gifted. Uh, that's 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 a bit of a rough one. Well, then I think twenty six. Then if that's yeah, if that's where we yeah yeah yeah. I'm actually okay with that. Like, this is a whole bunch of books in here. Like, ugh, I don't know. I don't know that I think it's better than Thunder in Her Veins, but I think Thunder in Her Veins is too low. Um, I, th- I think Thunder in Her Veins has the same problem that uh, Forever has, where there's just a lot of history that isn't explained. So I yeah, think but it, all the, the difference book, is I know that history. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for some... I'm, I'm, I'm going to... Yeah. Listen, man. I don't venture out of my spider-man hole uh, very often so i think in terms of beginner books i think i'm as good as judge as anybody for what book is good to get into sorry that cut out for a second what are you talking about spider-man's holes oh <laughs> uh, no okay so we're gonna move on now okay <laughs> okay uh-huh. let's talk about long shot i i i i want to take a crack at this i'm gonna tell you where i think it should go <laughs> And you okay. guys can then take it down from there because it's gonna go lower, I think. Oh, aim high. <laughs> <laughs> so I would actually put this on the list at sixty-five. Oh, you know what? That's actually a. I that's where I was gonna draw the line. Was at War of Kings. <laughs> not like, not. Like, I I wouldn't put it below War of Kings, but I also probably wouldn't rank it up much higher. I was ready. I was ready to knock it down. That I was ready to knock it down that low. That's what I'm trying okay. to say. Because I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna go like high 30s or like low 40s. No, because even like I, like I said, as I was reading this book, I was like, oh man, this is my jam and nobody else's, which actually makes me want to put it a little bit higher than that. But we all have once. I was aiming for just beneath the Star Wars manga. But I read the wrong Star Wars title. But as I'm looking at it, it's like, I don't think I can get away with putting it much higher than that. Um, so, no, I'm actually going to stick with that. I think it's, it's of its time. It's harder to read. The, the character of Longshot is not as flushed out as he needs to be. And Longshot's not really the best thing to come out of the book anyway. Mojo is, with Spiral being a close second. Um, yeah. So... It's got a lot of good ideas, not the best execution, which kind of puts it in the same camp as, like, the books that are around here. Vader down, Star Wars yeah. Infinities. Yeah, I think that's actually, War I'm going to stand by that. 65 is not bad. It's better than War of Kings, though, because I still can't tell you what happened in War of Kings. I don't remember. Oh, it. yeah, exactly. Uh, I am absolutely okay with putting it at 65. 78. Oh, jeez. 78? I like Civil War wow. better. Holy cow. <laughs> Wow. Did not care for Frankenstein's monster versus Dracula or any of the ones that came after it. Now, uh, democracy is going to take me out of the running here. So I can't believe you'd put this beneath Marvel 1602. Do I need to remind you why Marvel 1602 is where it is? 
Oh yeah, that's like racism, no, right? No. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's oh Captain no, Captain America. America. To be a Native American. Oh no, <laughs> Steve Rogers. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, seriously. Um, yeah, like I think it does belong in this broad section, which is kind of a bunch of messy books, a bunch of kind of forgettable books. Um, I think this goes in the messy camp rather than the forgettable camp. I would, I would, uh, I would hesitate to put in this lower than Spider-Man versus Nightman Rotten because I was not a fan. Me neither. And I am a little bit of a fan here. There's like, there's a lot of stuff here to like, but the main stuff I don't. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like if you gave somebody really dry turkey, but there was some really bomb mashed potatoes and and corn on the side, but that turkey was just dry, <laughs> maybe a little burnt. You're not even sure it's turkey. I don't know how that's excusable. We've had Thanksgiving for <laughs> hundreds of years. <laughs> I know it's only been an official holiday for like a hundred years. I'm talking about like... Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just hate dry yeah. turkey so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Uh, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'll let you guys well, I, I shot my Just know I'm in the middle. Although you're okay. the decider. If you're in the middle, okay, okay. So if you're in the middle, this is what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna try to talk you up a little bit higher. Um, Don't listen to him, Aldo. <laughs> Don't do it. Good ideas. The main story isn't necessarily the best. It's a little bit hard to read. It goes on a little bit too long, but it's shorter than Maximum Carnage. Therefore, it's better than Maximum Carnage because Maximum oh, Carnage you know does what? all that stuff too. Yeah, yeah. All right. You know what? I'm back. I'm back up. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be the I wanted to be the voice of the angel on his shoulder or the devil on his shoulder, but that made sense. So yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, point number two, I can do a handstand. I don't, yeah. I don't really see what this has to do with. Look anything. what I can do. No, no, he's got a point. <laughs> hey, you guys, you guys are confusing me. So be gone, or however I get rid of you guys. <laughs> I love that movie so it's much. So good. It's so good. So good. Okay. I think I think that's let's let's put it at sixty five so that we're done talking about it. That's where all those clear in the space for it on the list. I think that's where it goes. Fine. You know what? One of these times, Stephen, though, you're gonna get some crazy like <laughs> late eighties, early nineties garbage. You're gonna have us read again, and I'm gonna filibuster until it's at the bottom of the bucket. <laughs> I will. I will. I will not yield my time until it is where it belongs. Oh, calm down, Patton. <laughs> I mean, Spidey-Man versus Nat-Man and Rotten, you kind of already did it. I wanted to put that way higher than we did. Well, I think it's getting closer to where it belongs. So. <laughs> well, considering it was 18 at one point. Probably because there were 18 titles in there. <laughs> yeah, probably. What do we got for next time, Esteban? Okay, so next time, uh, we were looking at our list trying to decide on characters that we don't have enough of. And so we're going to read a Spider-Man story. Not enough Spider-Man, you say? A little bit of a joke. But there was a Spider-Man story, uh, kind of a notable one, that just hit the app that I've had on my radar, although I know you've already read it. So we're going to read Spider-Man Life Story. It's a six-issue miniseries from last year by Chips Darsky and Mark Bagley. It's it's this year. Is it still going? Oh, it ended this year, but it started in 2019. Yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. I forgot. This is March. Yeah. yeah, it's 2020 now. I forgot. We're in I March. I forgot we're in 2020. <laughs> uh, um, time is so fast. It's fleeting. Guys, I'm going to be 30 this year. <laughs> <laughs> Looking down at you from the ripe old age of almost 36. 
Yeah. It's, this it's this is just 29, part two. <laughs> your 30s are better than your 20s anyway, hopefully. <laughs> um, anyway, to go along with the Spider-Man story, we are going to read a uh, Frank Miller, John Romita Jr. comic, Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, five-issue miniseries from 1993. We have 11 Spider-Man issues, or stories. <laughs> and that's just his stories. Drop that's not a, including... Drop in a bucket. Drop in a bucket. That's not including every time he pops up in a book. <laughs> yeah, um, one issue one issue more of surety in, in Spider-Man, a Spider-Man would have popped up in even that book, and that would have been both tonight. So, <laughs> yeah. Um... Not, yeah, not, you can't have too much Spider-Man. It's okay. And I, I thought I had read uh, Man Without Fear as part of this podcast. I think I just read it for fun, guys. That's how long ago I've, it's been. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I think it's one that I enjoyed. Even, you know, with the um, John Romita Jr. art, I think I enjoyed it all the same. Wow. Yeah. Well, and it's Frank Miller before he went a little crazy, so... Mm-hmm. I got my fingers crossed. I like Frank Miller yeah. when he's good. Which you know, was in the 80s. maybe maybe we'll all be lucky lucky enough to have a good phase and a nutso phase. You know, like <laughs> maybe we all live long enough to become the villain of our own story. You know, whatever. <laughs> well, I don't know, because because Frank Miller's villainy wound up with a whole bunch of Islamophobia. Okay, maybe we die just short of that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and on that note, I think we're going to end before John actually wishes any more death on us, which is a, <laughs> that's a heck of a take to be taking in, oh. you know, March, 2020. <laughs> I'm inside. No one can get me. Oh gosh. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us, uh, tonight. And, uh, hope y'all are weathering this storm. Well, uh, we'll, we'll come out on the other side. Okay. Things are going to work but, out. But not as good as storm weathers herself. Yeah. Seriously. Those, those braids are sh- Sharp. I love them. She ages like fine African wine. Mm-hmm. Am I allowed to say black don't crack? <laughs> I don't know. That is the whitest thing you could have said. That's. I mean, I think the part that makes it white was the asking permission. Yes, that's that's what I I'm just, saying. Yeah. Oh my gosh, my wife texts from the other room. She's like, "No, you can't say that." <laughs> <laughs>